branches, you go through a boot camp. And in that boot camp, it's meant to break somebody down mentally, physically, to the point where they feel that they just aren't, aren't worth anything amongst themselves. But then the military steps in and begins to build them from that point to a place where they begin to feel strong as a team and they begin to be strengthened in that, that ability there. So brokenness is, is very much so a good thing in that sense that when we come unto God, there's absolutely a time that we have to become broken before Him before He can really do something that's going to be vital inside of our lives. But when we pray that, we better be ready to be broken because God, God will allow situations to come that, that will help break us down and that sort of thing. Not that he's going to let us suffer and all of that, but he absolutely is going to put us in those places and let us be broken so that he can step beside us and he can lift us up and we can trust in his strength instead of our own in Jesus' name. And so it's a powerful thing when we begin to pray that. So I think we should pray that first of all tonight. And then second of all, only if you want to pray that, I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to, but I would ask that you do tonight, that, that you make that commitment. But then the second thing that I would ask tonight is there are a lot of people that aren't here tonight that are sick, um, that aren't feeling well, there's disease going around. We can pray for them in Jesus' name, that God would bless their households, that he would move in there and heal them. And he can definitely do that in Jesus' name. So let's lift our hands. Let's pray those things tonight in Jesus' name. God, we come before you, Jesus, and we understand that our strength is not ours, God, but our strength comes from you and who you are, Jesus. And I pray for every person here tonight, God, that if there is a desire in their heart, Lord, to be broken before you, Jesus, that you would allow us to be broken before you, God. Maybe right now we do feel broken already, God. Maybe situations around us, God, have allowed us to be broken up before this night, God. And I believe that you can strengthen, God, and you can lift us out of those situations, Jesus. Let us come to a place, God, where we understand and realize your power and your strength in your spirit, God, and how mighty that is, Jesus, in your dwelling in place, God. Lord, let that in be inside of, of our households, God, inside of our persons, God. Lord, that you alone are the stronghold, God, and the strong tower inside of our lives, God. You alone are the one that can move in the situations around us, God. Lord, I pray for every person that is sick tonight, God. Those that are here that are not feeling well, God. Those that are in their households not feeling well, God. You said that we could lay hands on the sick and they would recover, God. And you said that we could pray, God, and that your stripes, God, by your stripes we are healed, God. And I believe not only physically, God, but mentally and spiritually, God, that you can mend things tonight, God, in every person's life, Jesus, that right now, God, they would feel your reassurance, God, and your power inside of their situation in their household in Jesus. Jesus name and God we believe that tonight God we believe that tonight God that you will do what you have said you will do God we believe those things God and we give you the glory and the praise for all of it tonight in Jesus name if you trust in those things if you trust in him tonight let's yes. praise him and lift his name up and thank him for how worthy he is Hallelujah, what a mighty God we serve. You can be seated tonight in Jesus' name. I thank you for being here on this wonderful Wednesday night. It is warming up, and if you have some things to do, if you need to mow your lawn still, this is definitely the week to do it um, in the next few days in Jesus' name. It's about ready to get cold, I believe, in Gillette, Wyoming, so I'm just giving that 50-50 shot, as Pastor said, about being a weatherman on Sunday, so yeah. I can do that. I have a 50 shot, 50% shot at that, right? At, at getting it right. So, yes, amen. That's right. <laughs> so, some good things. But we also have some, uh, some good things happening in the church. On uh, Sister C, you might have to help me if I miss anything. But on Saturday, we have the men's uh, brunch, and that is going to start at 10 o'clock, not at noon, but at 10 o'clock. And the reason being is that the men are going to practice their song for the, the Christmas um, session next week. And so we are going to have that brunch here at the church. All men are invited um, to come and enjoy some food, some good fellowship. It's always a great time. 
And then after that, the men that are singing in the, the, the choir group can uh, come and practice that as well. Do we have anything else on Saturday? There is a baby shower on Saturday at 2.30 here at the church. Here at the church. All right. Baby shower. Okay. Sunday is our Christmas for Christ offering day. If you have seen the videos, I, I, we, I have forgotten to play some of those, but... Um, yeah, we, it is our Christmas for Christ offering day, and so that just goes to some incredible things, um, building churches and, and, and that sort of stuff. Um, our district has been incredibly blessed by that. We send in um, you know, a certain amount of money, but we've gotten uh, thousands upon thousands of dollars back into local churches in our area. Um, and so it's very well worth investing in because of the, the benefit um, and, and things that it helps with that in Jesus' name. And then uh, Sunday night, we have service. And then uh, Tuesday which is Christmas Eve, we will have a candlelight service here, and that's at 5.30, 5.30, candlelight service here at the church, so you'll want to be here to participate in that, so just a lot of good things that are happening, um, again, things that you can invite people to um, and enjoy in the kingdom of God and that sort of thing, so I'm thankful for our church and everybody that's involved in that, in Jesus' name. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. You'll be in Texas. All right. Sounds good. Awesome. So we have been talking about the Discipleship Project. We are in lesson 1.3 tonight, and we've been talking about Mary Did You Know, which has been just an absolutely incredible uh, few lessons, I think. I've been learning so much about Mary through these lessons and, and some things that truly uh, have helped me. And so if you remember, we've been speaking about Mary and the promise that she was given from the angel and how she had to hold on to that promise and be willing to trust God with what he had told her, even though that there were people around her that were naysayers and saying that that was not a promise of God and things like that, and how she had to stand for that. And then last week we spoke about how she had, uh, you know, that, that promise that was there. Jesus was walking around in this world for, for many, many years, and, and there weren't anything, like any, any large miracles that he was doing in front of large groups of people. So yet again, Mary was still telling people, hey, this is the Messiah, but the Messiah isn't doing anything to show that he's the Messiah. And so people are still being naysayers. And so they, uh, when they come to the place where he can begin to turn the water into wine, she says, Jesus, now's your chance to show people who you truly are. And he said, well, it's not my time yet. And again, it had to be something that was very frustrating for Mary. So just talking about having patience towards the promises that God has given to us. And so... While I read this tonight, I want you to think about some promises that God has given to us, because that's the first question I'm going to ask you before I get into any of the points. But I do want to read the scripture in these paragraphs here. So while I'm doing that, think of some promises that God has given us. And I'm not necessarily asking for promises that he has spoken to you personally, but what are some promises that he has given to us as a people that, that, that humankind can receive from God? Um, and and that's, that's what I would like to ask after this. So our scripture tonight is this. In John 19, 25 through 27, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciples, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciples, or that disciple took her unto his own home. Listen to these, these paragraphs that will kind of bring this into context. It says, Her heart must have been torn to pieces. A mother could never imagine this while bouncing her baby on her knee, while feeding and caring for, caring for him, while teaching him to talk, nor while watching him take his first steps. Never in her wildest imagination could Mary dream of the day that she was now experiencing. Not long ago, Jesus was healing the blind and the deaf, not long ago, he was feeding the multitude with two small fish and five loaves of bread and calling Lazarus from the tomb. Not long ago, he was defying the laws of nature, walking on water and calming the waves. But that seemed like a lifetime ago. Today, people were mocking him. The blood from his brow was streaming down his face, and he was their Messiah. Could they not see it? But what, that, or, but what king receives a crown with thorns? He was their deliverer. 
But now he was in need of his own deliverance, deliverance from a cross. And these thoughts and others like them no doubt flooded Mary's mind. And along with them, a central question, what about the promise? How do you keep trusting when everything is falling apart? A king is to be honored, not mocked. How could the Savior not save himself? The one who far exceeded the expectations of many was subjecting himself to something beyond comprehension. And it was all extremely difficult to understand. But the angel had given Mary a promise. You will bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the highest. So she held on to that promise despite the circumstances that shouted, it will never happen, despite what seemed at the moment to be defeat, despite what others said and did, even those who forsook him, she held on to the promise that she had been given. So yet again tonight, we are talking about Mary and her opportunity and how she held on to this promise and just stood incredibly strong in a time when many of us might have crumbled and fell into a particular circumstance. So the first question that I would like to ask you tonight, what are some promises of God that he has given to us? Yes, brother. The Holy Ghost. Amen. Yes. Never leave us nor forsake us. Eternal life. There we go. Somebody else. Yes, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Amen. Somebody else. Some promises of God, things that he has given to us. Deliverance. Amen. Yes. Do better miracles. Yes, that's incredible. Amen. Yes, sister. Yes, we can repent. Get rid of our sins. Remission of sins. Amen. Yes. Love it. All sorts of them, right? I, I mean, we, we could truly just keep going and going here if we really, really wanted to. And, and thinking about these promises that God has given to us. I, I was thinking of one that, uh, you know, again, uh, you know, that a promise that we all have that uh, in the end time, it says that the dead in Christ will rise first. And, you know, be caught up in the clouds with the, them that are alive in Christ. Or, I'm getting that all mixed up. But anyway, it says that we're going to be caught up in the clouds together when Jesus returns. That's a promise that he's going to come back, that he will be here a second time. It's a promise, all of these things that you all have mentioned. And so when we think about these promises, sometimes we might think, well, Mary had an incredible promise. It was absolutely amazing and awe-inspiring to give birth to the Messiah but we also have a like promise where we have these incredible things before us that God has given to us. And we must treat them the same way, that, that we have these incredible promises. So now is not the time to give up on these things because of what is going on around us. And the place that we find those promises, if you're sitting here tonight thinking that you don't have a single promise that God has given to you, is inside of this book, inside of the Bible. And, and, and if you don't feel that you have a promise tonight, I encourage you to dig deep inside of this, the, the Bible and begin to read it and begin to see what God has promised to you because you will begin to find millions upon millions of promises inside of the Bible that we can't even begin to write down all of them that he has began to give to us. However, God will begin to speak to us through the scripture. And we may say that, you know, for Mary, it was incredibly cool for an angel to come down and speak to her face to face. And that would be awesome to have that experience every single night where an angel comes down and delivers something to us. But in reality, that's not going to happen every single night. And so it's our responsibility to begin to take the steps to say, God, I want to know what your promise is for my life. I want to know what you have to give to me or, or what you're, you're offering to me and that sort of thing. And God will begin to speak to you and reveal that to you. And it probably won't be through an angel, but it will be through his word and reading that and searching it and, and beginning to dive into what he has there. So I encourage everybody here, we have these tracks on the tables here that, that for the next year, you can begin to use these tracks to read through the Bible in an entire year. So the entire Bible in, in a year. And, and it's an incredible process that will begin to give you promises. And so we, the, the promises of God are never ending. And again, you can begin to journal them and the things that God has given to you. You can begin to write it down because because it is essential, and God will not backtrack on his promises, as we're going to find out tonight. So 
We know that, that the promises of God are found inside of his word, and we know that he has some incredible promises for all of us here in this church, and I'm thankful that you all mentioned those, and I just wanted to do that to get your mind thinking that there are promises that God has already given to you, even if you feel that he hasn't given you anything yet. Right now, we could repent in this place, and that's a promise that God has given to us, that sins will begin to go. That's an incredible thing in Jesus' name. And so that brings us to our first point here, that we often receive promises from the Lord, and then we begin creating scenarios in which we think that God will fulfill them. Pretty powerful thing when we think about it, right? Again, we begin to create those, those scenarios that God is going to allow his promise to unfold. So if he says that a million bucks is going to end up in our bank account, we say, okay, God, here's my, my routing number. I'm going to put it out there on the website, and people are just going to give and give me a million bucks. You know, like we begin to create these scenarios of what truly is going to happen. Or when God says you have the promise of being filled with my spirit and with the Holy Ghost, we begin to think, okay, God, like, absolutely, you know, this is how it's going to go, that, uh, you know, I'm going to do this and then that and take this step, and then, boom, I'm going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. When That's not exactly how God works sometimes. We can, you know, be filled in different places, but we have to trust that God knows what he is doing. And if he has offered us a promise, we just need to walk consistently in his presence, and then we ultimately will receive that promise. Hard times, lengthy delays, and things such as these are not a part of the thought process or our thought process when it comes to the promises we receive from the Lord. How many of us, when you receive a promise from the Lord, you think, man, there's going to be some hard times ahead of me. There's going to be some lengthy days ahead of me where I'm going to really have to work for this thing. There's going to be some times that I end up sore either spiritually or physically as a result of working towards these promises. That's why it's kind of dangerous when we begin to think of these scenarios because none of us begin to put in those bad times of saying, man, it might actually take some work to get to the place that God wants me to be at. Like the song tonight, brokenness, thinking about that. God, in order to get to a particular place, I'm going to have to break down these thoughts and these things that I thought that I had in my mindset of how I thought that this world and these things were going to work out. I have to break that stuff down and begin to adapt your ideas into, into my heart and that sort of thing. That's why when people begin to say that, you know, for, for us to say that, you know, in order to be saved, you have to be baptized in, of the water and of the spirit. It, it's scriptural, but some people say, well, that's not essential. You're, you're crazy to think that everybody needs to go down in the water, that everybody needs to be baptized in that water and that sort of thing. You know, it wasn't my plan or my promise that, that created that. I don't understand it, it, you know, exactly how the water cleanses everything and begins to wash that sin away. But I just have faith that God has given that promise in the scripture. And as a result of that promise being there, I'm going to trust that, that that's God's plan and how he wants things to work out. So sometimes in these scenarios, we don't understand how it's going to work out. And if we all were God, we would probably do it some other way or say, like, you know, this, this sort of thing needs to be different. But we're not. And thankfully, I'm thankful that I'm not God because of those decisions that God truly has to make up there. I mean, all that sort of stuff. It's not difficult for him, but for me, man, it would, it would just kill me all the time thinking of that stuff. I would lose sleep all day long because of that stuff. But thankfully, I am not God and you are not God. So all that we have to do is just listen to what he has given to us in this good book before us. The promises of God, the things that are there. And so... This says that the time between the moment the promise is given and the moment the promise is fulfilled is often the unexpected hardship. The time between when it's given to you and when God actually fulfills it, that's usually when there is hardship inside of our lives. It's just being very real here today. And so it says this, when the promise is given, we tend to think good things. Carrying a promise is much like a woman carrying a baby. The future is bright, but at the present moment, it may include some discomfort in, in all reality. It, it may include some discomfort. In, it, in, in God's kingdom, his promises might not be just nine months. It, it may take years to begin to unfold a promise inside of your life or to begin to develop what God truly desires for your life or to begin to, to unfold those things that, that God wants you to see and, and expound upon. When, when I you know, received the Holy Ghost, I instantly received a lot of 
revelation to things around me. I began to see certain stuff around me. But in, in reality, a lot of confusion began to come too when I tried to think things through through my, my carnal mind, when I began to try to think things through of this is how God was doing this or that. And so I had to be careful with it and, and, and just had to continue to develop and pray and pray. And as time has went by, God's Spirit has continued to reveal and help me understand why certain scriptures say certain things and why God did this or that when he was here on this world or why he has impacted and healed somebody and, and somebody else he hasn't healed and that sort of stuff. All these questions that I began to, to have in my mind began to make sense and, and, and began to, to be a little bit more understandable. But it took time and it took years. It took experience in beginning to get, get my hands dirty in some of those circumstances for it to begin to work. It's similar that, that some here might say, well, God would never use me to heal somebody. Well, how do you know unless you want to get your hands dirty and try it? It's just an, an honest question here tonight. God can use every single person in here to heal somebody. That, that you lay hands on, on them and that they're healed in Jesus' name. God can use you to, to heal your family, to, to work through things, to see people delivered and that sort of stuff. It's a promise, but we don't know until we actually take a step of faith and say, God, you know what? I'm just going to give this a shot and see what happens. I'm just going to do what your scripture says. I'm just going to take those steps. And I know that, that there's a promise there, God. And if there's a promise there, God, I'm going to take those steps and I'm going to do it even if it doesn't make sense so that that promise can be unfolded in my life or somebody else's life around me in Jesus' name. That's the only way that these things are going to begin to unfold as if we're willing to get our hands dirty, if we're willing to start working and laboring towards the things of God and saying, God, it doesn't matter how much this costs me or how much pain is involved in this. I am willing to go through it to see your kingdom expanded or to see you expanded. And by no means tonight do I want this to sound like God has designed this thing for us to just suffer through our whole lives. That, that's not what God has designed. He, he's put joy in there. He's put peace in there. He's given us the things that we need. And he has ultimately given us the strength so that we can get through those hardships. But it's going to take our commitment and, 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 and us willing to, to follow God in order for these things to happen. And so God does things differently than you and I, if you haven't experienced that. He does things differently than the way that we would do it. He just does. And although we may not like it from time to time, we must remember that God does all things well. That he does things good. He does them well. He didn't just mess up and, and accidentally create the world and millions of people upon the planet and that sort of stuff. No, he specifically spoke specific words for things to happen. He specifically brought you to a particular place where you met somebody or whatever and began to hear about the word of God and began to experience him. He began to set up and orchestrate all these things that are going on inside of our lives. And he does it well. He does it how it needs to happen in Jesus' name. And so we can trust in that, that because he is this omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God, that he has more ability than we do as human beings, that he doesn't get tired. He doesn't get to a place where he just says, I need to take a nap, and, and you guys are on your own for, for 24 hours or something like that. He doesn't get to that place because of who he is. So we can trust in that in Jesus' name. He does not get things wrong or do things the wrong way, and hence we must trust him and his ways of doing things. So that brings us to our next point here, that we must trust that the fulfillment of the promise is going to be worth the discomfort. We must trust that God coming through with that promise right now, it's going to be worth the discomfort for the time being and that sort of thing. Maybe it's as simple as this, that, that our family members say, man, you know what? You don't need to be baptized. That's just goofy. You, you get in this, this robe here. I mean, it, it looks really fancy and has, I mean, just gold and it makes you look like a king. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. You, you put this robe on that's kind of, in, in some senses, people would say, well, that, maybe that's silly. And you go down in this water and you come out and you're soaking wet in a church in front of all these people and that sort of thing. That doesn't make sense. And it can make that situation uncomfortable for some people and uncomfortable for, for what has happened there. It's a discomfort that is there. 
But we have to trust that the fulfillment of the promise that when we go down in that water and come out and every single sin is washed away, that the fulfillment of that promise is so much better than the discomfort of what other people might say about it or what other people might mock it with or do about it in Jesus' name. And the same thing with, with receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, that, that the discomfort that the people might say against those things or say, man, you're goofy for the way that you worship or raising your hands or praising God and all that sort of stuff. If they want to cause discomfort, then so be it. But it is worth it because of the fulfillment of the promise that God has given to us in those things in Jesus' name. It's very, very trustworthy that, that we can give to him. It is worth all the pain to see God's promise doing these things. Listen to what this says here. David Hazard, in his book, You Set My Spirit Free, he says this, for many of the people long ago, God's prophetic words did not come to pass in the way that they expected. This was because, like us, they did not seek God's higher view first and interpreted what he told them from their own self-serving viewpoint in the wrong way, that is. Though they also looked for absolutely literal fulfillment of God's word, ignoring the fact that he was addressing spiritual conditions. Again, I think it's something that we can all be guilty of, that we want a literal answer, that we want something that's very real and comprehensible around us. We, we are raised inside of a school system and stuff, and it's great, but inside of that school system, we're taught reasoning, that you create a thesis and a theory, and you begin to prove facts on that, and then once you get to the end, you, I forget what the ending thing is called, but you have all these facts, and you prove that your theory or your thesis is real or not real, and so that's what life becomes about, is we're proving things, whether it's right or wrong, and, and we just begin to prove it over and over and over again, that we need fact, and if there's no fact, then we don't trust it or we don't believe it and that sort of thing. That's what we're taught inside of our schools, and so it's understandable that when we first come to God, we begin to apply some of those same things. But God says, no, that's not how I work. The, these things aren't going to make sense at some times. It, the, the, the way that I do things is just not going to, to be revealed to you for a certain amount of time, and that's just the way that I'm going to work it. And at the time, it definitely doesn't make sense, but God will begin to help us understand as time goes on and things begin to expand. The situations now may not make sense in your life, but God will show you later on. God will begin to expand those things and show you his promises working inside of your life, and so we can trust in him. And I'm thankful for that tonight in Jesus' name. And so number three here, it says, Often the way that we envision God, would envision God fulfilling his word is not the way that he actually does it. Why? Because we are often looking at things through earthly eyes and not spiritual eyes. God is interested in the bigger picture, and he is looking beyond our natural setting and is addressing spiritual things around us. I always say it would be so cool to be able to strip away this physical realm around us. It'd be so cool to strip away these things that are around us and see all that God was doing. See the angels coming and going on, on a ladder in, into heaven and that sort of thing. See his kingdom up above and, and, and just see what God is working, the battles that are literally being fought around us in Jesus' name. And, and inside of the prayer room, that the battles that were fought tonight and the things that was destroyed and the things that were brought up and the things that are growing. I mean, it would just be an incredible, incredible sight to see what is going on around us. And so these promises, if anything, we have to begin to trust that God, even though I don't feel it right now, even though I don't experience it, even though my flesh doesn't have the marks of it right now, we, we can trust that God absolutely can, can, can work through these spiritual situations to impact us in the world that we are in right now. It's an incredible thing, and I don't want to freak anybody out by saying those things, but it's true that God is working in us spiritually. It's the same thing with baptism. The reason I don't understand that is because it's not an earthly thing, but it is a spiritual thing, that when we go down in that water, God is cleansing us spiritually and beginning to take away those sins that are around us in Jesus' name. So he's interested in that bigger picture, putting these pieces together to show us that, 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 that this bigger picture is coming together. And when we get to heaven, we will begin to see it and understand it quite a bit more. So let's look at some, some characters here and, and that sort of thing. The scripture says this in Genesis 46, 3 through 4. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. And I will go down with you into Egypt, 
and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon your eyes. God is giving this promise here. And at the first glance, it would appear that God was telling Jacob that he would return home at some point in his life. But that actually did not happen. Jacob died in, a, in, in Egypt, in a foreign land. Jacob did not return home alive. So we have to ask God, or ask the question, did God lie inside of the scripture? This promise that was given here inside of scripture. If, if we see here that he's saying you will return to this land, yet Jacob did not, did God lie? Well, God did not lie because God's promise was fulfilled later when Moses led Jacob's offspring out of the land of Egypt and into the promised land. Jacob's children also brought his body back to that land and they buried him there just as God had promised. See, when we look at these things here and we say, God, okay, you're going to do this in my lifetime, and you said that that mansion up on the hill is mine, and, and it's going to happen right now within this time period, maybe that's not what God intended for it to happen. Maybe that's not the meaning that God truly meant in, inside of that, that particular circumstance. We can still trust that whatever God has promised us, the steps that we are taking are leading us towards that promise, and God will fulfill it, whether it's in our lifetime or not in our lifetime. God will fulfill that in Jesus' name. There, there, this just came to my head, and so I, I didn't have time to study it or anything, so I might need some help here. But inside of the Old Testament, where there were 70 years where um, the, the Scripture, I'm trying to think of it, um, that, um, yes. Yes, what, the scripture on that? I'm trying to think it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and then I'm going to bring you back. And then we, we quote that scripture at the end of that, that powerful scripture where God says, and, and these are the amazing things that are going to happen as a result of that. We quote that scripture without understanding the 70 years that they were going to be in captivity in order to get to that point where God was going to fulfill his promise. And, and you have to begin to look up that, that, that chapter in, in that scripture there and see that God, you know, he's working. He knows what he is doing inside of us. And even if we're inside of a jail cell right now or we're captive or whatever it may be, we have to trust that God, you know what you are doing. And I think that's part of the reason why Paul and all those guys, when they were in prison and they were getting beat and all these sort of things, they're like, man, I count it worthy to be in this place. Because you know what? The impact, the result of being in this place, of, of these things that are happening here. There's lives being changed. There's people being delivered from things. There's sicknesses that are being healed. And they were getting excited about those things because the, the government could not stop it. The people around them could not stop it. The, the promise of God from unfolding no matter how hard they tried. So Paul, in those conditions, he was excited to see what God was doing. And we can very much so get in that same place that even if the, the promises of God for us are not something crazy or wild, we can get excited about the the promises of God saying that we can go into all the world and that things will be subject unto us, that, that spiritual darknesses and things have to submit themselves to his name when we begin to speak it and when we begin to pray for people and that we can walk into places and see lives changed and people delivered and, and things moved and transitions happen. I mean, these are cool things and so we can get excited about those promises not only happening for us but in other people's lives even if they don't make sense or their fulfillment is many, many years down the road in Jesus' name. I mean, would we continue to show up for church over and over again if God said that nothing was going to happen for 70 years, that we were just meant to continue doing the same mundane thing over and over again for that many years just to see a huge explosion of revival at the end of it? Would we keep doing it if we did not know the end result of that? And God just said, just keep doing it. There's something big about to come. Keep doing it. There's something big about to come. And we're 70 years old and we're thinking, okay, God, when is this going to happen? I mean, would we keep doing those things? God doesn't work on our time frame, but he gives us promises and we can trust in them that even if we don't see some big amazing thing inside of our lifetime, God can use our lives to impact other people and see things happen in Jesus' name. And so we can see some, some very, very cool things that God does through this. God does not lie and he will never lie. He cannot lie, but there are maybe times when God's promise makes no sense to us. 
And even though God does not lie, Satan would love to make us think that God is lying to us, that God is lying about certain promises and things inside of our lives. Satan will blast that all over billboards. You'll see it inside of Google. You can Google things and all that, that sort of stuff, and you can find that people say that God's promises aren't true or real or whatever it may be in that sort of stuff. And I'm not putting humankind down, but my goodness, we need to shut that stuff off and trust in his promise rather than the Google promise that's in there in Jesus' name. And so let me ask you this question. What are some typical things that we think that are usually not accurate when it comes to fulfilling or to, when it comes to God fulfilling his promise? What are some things that we think when it comes to God fulfilling his promise? Maybe some ideas or excuses or things that we might think as humankind. Immediate things. Yeah. Amen. Very true. Now, God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that we want to see it. Yeah, show me proof, give me evidence, that sort of thing. Yes. Anybody else have some some things? Some ideas? Yeah, I mean, we 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 all could probably create a list on this if we truly thought about it, and even just going through this week and, and walking around it. I hope that God will make you sensitive to this, of, of some things that maybe excuses that you have used in, in keeping God from fulfilling his promises and things like that. You know, when God asks us to speak to the person in the grocery store, well, God, no, you didn't tell me that. That's not the right person today, that sort of thing. I'm too shy. I can't speak loud enough. I, I don't know enough scripture. I don't have enough of an ability. You know, like we, we could go down the list of things that we could say, this is the reason why God doesn't want to fulfill his promise. But in all reality, it's just an excuse. God doesn't work the way that we, we, or that, that, that we work. So we have to begin to conform our ways to his ways in Jesus' name. So continuing on with this lesson, that just because circumstances seem contrary to the promise, it does not mean that God is not going to fulfill it. Just because they're contrary to the promise, it doesn't mean that God is not going to fulfill it. You have to begin to see different people, like Jacob, God fulfilled this promise to him. But what about a few others, people like Joseph, it says on here, or Noah. When you think about these people, so Joseph and Noah, Joseph, I mean, God gives him this amazing dream. Your brothers are going to bow down to you. You're going to rule over this nation. You're going to do some incredible things, Joseph. I mean, just this amazing dream, this, this code of colors. And I mean, Joseph hadn't made at that point in time, and so I can see his excitement when he goes and begins to tell people about this dream, and he probably should have been incredibly careful about that. But then he's taken, and he's handcuffed, and he's thrown into this pit, and his brothers rip that very nice coat off of him and, and begin to stain it with the blood of, of animals and take it back to their father and say, Joseph's dead. And so Joseph, nobody knows that he's alive. There's no rescue party that's ever going to come and save him and that sort of thing. There's no Navy SEALs that are going to break down the door and pull him out of the circumstance. It's just not going to happen because nobody knows that he exists there and he's sold into slavery and he's, he's very likely beaten within that slavery. And he's thinking, God, you gave me a dream and now I'm getting whipped for doing work out here and that sort of thing. And so he begins to, to build his way up because they see favor in him. And you all know the story that as he begins to build his way up, that Potiphar's wife comes in there and, and, and you know, begins to say, Joseph, lay with me. I want you to lay with me and, and take me to this place and that sort of thing. And Joseph says, no, I, you know, I'm trusting in God. I'm trusting in, in, in him and that sort of thing. And she takes his coat and she runs to her husband and says, Joseph tried to rape me and, and just claims these false things about Joseph. And he gets thrown back into a prison where he remains for years, and he's inside of this prison with these men around him, and he even begins to build up inside of the prison a little bit, but in the prison, he's still thinking, man, I had a dream from God, and this all seems quite contrary to it. How many times am I going to end up in prison? How many times am I going to be in these places where people think nothing of me because they don't know who I am? They don't know my family or my brothers or my father or any of that sort of stuff. But he still began to trust in that. He still knew that God was doing something. And as a result, you, you understand the story that Joseph rises up in the kingdom and becomes a second in command and oversees the food. And his brothers eventually do come and bow before him. And, and, and he does eventually fulfill that promise that God has given to him. 
And so again, just laboring, his circumstances were contrary to the promise, but he still trusted in the promise that God had given to him in Jesus' name. What if our country began to say that they're going to kill every single Christian that was inside of our nation? The circumstances are completely contrary to what God is saying, that there's going to be a great revival and that sort of thing, that God's saying that he's going to heal and do these amazing things. What if there's these circumstances that just keep saying these things? Are we going to start to trust in science and start to trust in these ideas of saying, well, maybe we did come from some other source or some other way and that sort of stuff? Or are we going to stand firm on the promise of God, knowing that he created us in Jesus' name? Noah was another one, that, that he was out there. God had told him, hey, there's a flood coming, man. It's time to get ready for it. And so Noah's out there, and he's sawing on boards, and he's pounding in nails, and he's spending all of his time while his buddies are out there having fun and, and, and doing the, the fun things of life and, and, you know, involved in each other's houses and, you know, just doing, doing good things and that sort of stuff or, or th those things out there. There was a lot of evil in the world, but they were out there that, doing things that our flesh would desire to do. And Noah's saying, well, God, I'm in here just laboring away day in and day out, just doing doing this work over and over again while all these other people get to go out here and seemingly have this fun and he just keeps sawing and hammering on the ship over and over again and he goes and, and looks for the clouds and there's no cloud on the horizon saying man God is it truly going to flood the entire world because that doesn't seem like it's going to be a very real or true thing but he says okay God I'll trust in your promise but you said to do this, so I am going to do it over and over and over again until your promise comes to fulfill. The circumstances were completely contrary to what God had, had said was going to happen, but Noah trusted in God. And people stood there, and they very likely laughed at him and mocked him and said, man, this is a great thing that he built here. What's he going to use it for, like tourism or, or whatever it may be? But, I mean, he's just going at it and that sort of thing. He's a weird guy. He's goofy. Maybe they said he's the old man on the hill who doesn't know what he's doing and has lost his mind and that sort of stuff. They could have said all these things about Noah, but he did it year after year after year until one day there was a flood, and God came through with what he said was going to happen. And so perhaps the entire matter seems silly to Noah too. God said to build this ark, and Noah did as he was instructed. And if Noah was anything like us, he probably looked every day for that cloud, a sign that he was not wasting his time. And he likely searched for something he could look at or something he could see, but there was nothing. All he had was a word that said, build an ark, in Jesus' name. I mean, how incredible is that when we think about it? All that God says is, be baptized in my name and receive my spirit. Be baptized of the water and of the spirit. Two things, just, just do it. Very, very easy, that, that sort of thing. And, and we have a world around us that says, man, you don't need that. It's much simpler to just accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and that, that sort of thing, and that's good to go. I mean, those people that believe that you need to be baptized in both these ways, they're crazy. They're wild. They, they have these wild ideas. No, I get my promises from the Bible. Amen. And if it's any different, they're contrary to what this is, then I'm sorry, but I'm not going to trust it and I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to accept something that is half mediocre just to please my flesh or to, to make life easier for me. But I want, I, even if the circumstances are all coming against me, I'm going to trust in what God has told me because I know how real and, and vitalized that is in Jesus' name. It's powerful when we begin to trust in his word versus what the world is telling us in Jesus' name could go down a rabbit trail, but I'm not going to in Jesus' name. Circumstances sometimes make it difficult to believe our promises will ever be fulfilled. They make it difficult to believe that our promises will ever be fulfilled. But circumstances do not control promises. God does. Circumstances don't control the promises that God has given to us. God does. It doesn't matter how much money we have in the bank account. It doesn't matter what kind of a car we drive. It doesn't matter how amazing our family is doing at that particular time. Those circumstances don't control the promise that God has given to you. God does. He's the one that controls that promise around you. 
It doesn't matter what our world is doing around us. They can say and put their thumb on churches and that sort of stuff and say that, that you're not going to have revival. Like in China, they, they, you know, North Korea, they, they can begin to bind up these places and say, you know what, you're not going to speak these things and that sort of stuff. But they're not the ones that control the promises of God. And, and unfortunately, we get that wrong as human beings, but God controls those promises. And as a result, you see those underground churches that even where people are shot and killed and all these sort of things, that God is still moving in those places. His Holy Ghost is still expounding. His promises are still alive and well. There's still people being delivered and healed and changed and transformed in his name because of what they are believing in and trusting in, in his promises in Jesus' name. So we can't let circumstances cause us to cease believing that God will fulfill his promises to us. We can't let circumstances stop what God has done inside of, his life, or inside of our lives. And so if his promise is there, we must trust in that in Jesus' name. And so continuing on here tonight, he says this, that the issue we struggle with is not adverse circumstances as much as our expectations. It's not as much adverse circumstances as much as our expectations. And I get this wrong probably just as much as the next person because I'm a guy. And as a guy, you know, like when, when you're a boy and that sort of thing, there's times that maybe you do like to get in a little scuffle or a little fight. And you think, you know what, this is fun or whatever. And if you win, you walk away saying, throwing your shoulders back and saying, man, I'm a pretty big guy. I'm, I'm a man in this thing and that sort of stuff. We, we kind of get that way in, in Christian living too, that man, you know what, I'm ready for a spiritual challenge. Like, come on, God, bring in this adverse circumstance and I'm going to just dominate it and I'm going to throw my shoulders back and be ready to win this thing and that sort of stuff. All, all that, you know. Or, or sometimes we, we feel that we're just being bombarded with adverse circumstances. But in reality, a lot of times, it's just our expectations that are causing us to, to be overwhelmed or, or to cause us to, to, to not believe in the promises of God. Our expectations of saying, I thought it was going to happen this way, God. I thought your promise lined it out this way, but it didn't happen that way, God. And, and, and we get a disappointment going as a, as a result of that. And it's dangerous because disappointment begins to cause a spiral, and eventually we go down a path where maybe we decide that we just don't want to come back to God anymore. So we have to be careful with our expectations and what we place on God of saying how God needs to do things. And, and it's much easier if, like that song says, we say, God, I want to be broken, and I want my expectations to be broken before you, and whatever thought that I had about how this might happen, I want you to dismiss that, and I want you to tell me what I need to do to take these steps towards that promise, God. I want you to lead me towards those doors that need to be opened, God. Close the ones that need to be shut. Open the ones wide that I need to walk through, God. Help me to see that and see those things spiritually through your way and your abilities in Jesus' name. It can become our prayer daily in, in, inside of our, our morning or, or evening prayer in Jesus' name. And so consider Mary in this circumstance. At the time of the crucifixion, the battle she faced was the battle within her own mind. What was happening could not have been what she expected when she received the promise of giving birth unto the Messiah. The struggle was likely at its greatest when she realized her expectations were not going to be met at this time. If you think about it, I mean, you get this promise from God and you're probably thinking, man, Jesus is going to to do, you know, like some, this incredible thing, there's going to be, I mean, angels all around and a choir singing and all this sort of stuff, and it's going to be just the, the most amazing Christmas service or whatever, you know, like just thinking about how this thing's going to happen, but no, he's born in, into a manger in, in a lowly, humble place, and then he ends up going to a cross where he dies in front of these people who have been mocking him for so long, and, and in Mary's mind, or even if I was standing there, I'd be thinking, Jesus, like, why don't you show these people who you truly are? I mean, just strike them all with lightning and pull yourself off that cross and do these incredible things, but he didn't do that because he knew that there needed to be a sacrifice for all of us in Jesus' name, and so Mary she was probably struggling with her expectations in that particular circumstance because she knew the promise that all the sins would be remitted inside of this. She knew the prophecies that had been spoken about through the entire Old Testament of what Jesus was going to be and what he was going to do. Yet it seemed so wrong in her expectations that this was what would happen with Jesus dying on this cross. And another Mary and her sister Martha they experienced similar circumstances. They thought Jesus would come and heal their brother Lazarus. 
but we all know this. Well, here's the scripture that, that it says this. They said, then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. If you read it in, in, in this version, it says, if you'd only come a little sooner, Lazarus would not have died in this, this circumstance. She's claiming this, saying, Jesus, this is kind of your fault for not showing up a little earlier. That if you would have been here, Lazarus would still be alive, and he would still be amongst us, and he would still be well. And then it says this, Then when Mary was come to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. He wouldn't have died, Jesus, if you would have done it the way that I expected you to do this thing. But we, if, if you read that story, I encourage you to do so. It's an incredible story. Jesus steps on the scene. And, and yes, it says Jesus wept in there when he heard some of these things. But he steps in there and he says, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but Lazarus, he's not dead. He's not dead. You, you think he's dead. He's in there for four days and he's been stinking and that sort of stuff. But he actually isn't dead. How wild would that be to all of us when we see you know, a body four days later and, and it, it's all that disgusting stuff and that sort of thing. And, and Jesus walks up and says, he's not dead. What are you talking about? You're goofy. His ways are not our ways. And Jesus walks in there and says, you know what? Yeah, come on, let me show you this. And so he says, Lazarus, get up and come out of there, man. You walk out of there. And so Lazarus comes walking out of this tomb, and he's dragging these grave cloths behind him. These things are still tied up to him, and the people are just standing back like, whoa, Jesus, like, how, what, what on earth? Like, we thought he was dead. We thought he was gone. How did this happen? And, and there's incredible scriptures and things that you can pull from that story there and, and what Jesus was truly showing. But Jesus was going to make a point that he was still going to keep his promise. He was still going to do the things that he wanted to do, but it was not by their expectation or how they thought it was going to be done in Jesus' name. That, that we can still pray for things. That's why we have to be so careful with what is going on around us. There's circumstances that will completely deceive us. And it's not saying, it's not, 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 not people around us or whatever it may be, but circumstances can deceive us from the things of God, can, can deceive us to walking away from situations where God is not done yet. Lazarus, they could have just given up and walked away and said, man, we're done. We're not even going to tell Jesus that he's dead. We're not even going to present this circumstance to him. But they still went to him. They still at least trusted in that. And Jesus, four days later, began to do the miracle that would happen there with Lazarus. We can't just walk away from things because what if God wants a miracle to happen there? If God says we need to stay put, we stay put. If God says walk, we walk. If God says to pray, we pray. When God says to do something, we do it because the promise is there. And we understand that promise is there in Jesus' name. The book of Hebrews, again, another amazing book if you want to read it. I think it's in the 11th or 12th chapter. But it tells us of many men and women who believed in God, but they never saw the promises of God actually begin to be fulfilled as far as what we have seen in our lifetime. People like Joseph, Noah, these guys, Abraham, that, that we're speaking of in, in, in this, this lesson tonight, these guys that we think were amazing biblical characters that did incredible things from God and had some, somehow some, so much greater strength than we have in our lifetime. The scripture says that these guys did all these great things by faith, but yet they never saw the full promise come to fluoration where, where people were beginning to be filled with God's spirit and would have more power. Somebody said that here tonight and, and greater things would be done, but that the spirit of God would fill us and that we now have a greater power inside of us to see things done than Noah and Joseph and these people like, like in this time. And so if they could go through these circumstances and still trust in the promise of God, then we can go through these circumstances and trust in the promise of God. We can see those greater things happen in Jesus' name. And it's not because of us, but it's because of him and his spirit inside of us working through us to do some incredible things in Jesus' name. And so I encourage you to take that scripture home as well and read it in, in the things that happen as a result of it. And so continuing on here, because I, I, I'm going to try to keep this within time tonight. But it says the difficulty we face is that we have a limited amount of insight in some of these things. We cannot see what is going to transpire, and we are limited with the view in front of us and perhaps a little of what is headed our way. And we cannot see it all. We can only see what is here now, what people tell us, the things around us, and that sort of thing. We're limited in our insight. 
And that's why praying in the Holy Ghost is essential because God will begin to open our sight to some things. He'll begin to expand some things. Things will begin to click and you'll begin to understand it. I told you, I think a month or two ago, that I was in the prayer room and I was praying about a circumstance and I still can't speak to it out here and that sort of thing. But man, just instantly in the prayer room, God clicked why a situation happened two years ago. I had no clue why that situation had happened. I, I had actually forgotten about it and that sort of thing. But now, two years later, God just, boom, in the prayer room, revealed to me why that situation had happened two years prior, that, that this is the reason you went through this, and this is how the door that it's going to open for your life at this point in time. Just some incredible things that, that he does through those things. God will do it. He will give you that insight, but you just got to trust in him. You just got to know that promise is there in Jesus' name. And not only do we think that God is going to work a certain way, but we often think that he is going to do so within a certain time period. Sister Jeannie said that tonight. Within a certain time period. Our first thought is, I guess God really did not make it or make that promise to us. Before long, we add this. Maybe I did not hear God correctly. Maybe God does not even care about me. And our expectations get all up in a mess where it's just spiraling down and all these sort of things. And we add another idea and another idea of saying, man, maybe God didn't mean this. Maybe it was wrong. Maybe it wasn't this or that. And we go down this, this rabbit hole that's just not good for us in Jesus' name. So we can't do that. We can't do that. We must be like Mary and trust that there's a promise in these things. We must be like these men before us and trust that there's a promise in these things and, and what God has given to us in Jesus' name. And so ultimately, we need to trust God despite what the circumstances say. We must trust God despite what is said around us, what people tell us, what things are saying to us in Jesus' name. And we need to trust God despite what our calendar says. We need to trust him despite what that begins to put in our lives as well. Here's some scripture for you to, to help with this in Abraham. He said unto him, I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. This is what God is saying unto Abraham. And Abraham believed it, but that is not all. He thought God was saying he, Abraham, would personally inherit this land. Because in Genesis 15, 8, he asked the Lord, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? He thought that this was going to be him that does this. But it did not happen the way that Abraham thought it would happen. And it did not happen as quickly as he thought it would happen either. It would not happen until 400 years later through Abraham's offspring. But it did happen. See, Abraham got in that particular place as well, where he said, man, you know, this is how God's going to do it. God, when are you ready for me to march on that land and take up that mansion that I see over there with those big grapes and that sort of stuff? No, it happened 400 years later. An incredible amount of time in Jesus' name. I mean, God could give this church a vision and say, you know, this is what's going to happen. But it might take hundreds of years for it to truly happen. It, it, it might take tens of years to, for it to happen. It might take a year for it to happen. We don't know. But all that we do is we just walk and we march in it and we trust in what God has spoken and all of those things there. And all we need to know is God will fulfill his promise. So we hold on to that promise. And better yet, we trust the one who gave the promise. So we must be careful with that because we have to trust the one who gives the promise. That brings us to this next point, that when things do not go according to your plan, you hold on to the one who gave you the promise. We cannot let our love for the promise supersede our love for the promise giver. I want to say that again, that we cannot let our love for the promise supersede our love for the promise giver. Promises are great. I love presents under the Christmas tree and that sort of thing. I mean, that's who we are is, is the human nature and that sort of stuff. But we can't let that, that greatness and those things around us become greater than the king who gave them to us, than the God who says, I want to present these things to you. We, we have to still know him. We have to pray. We have to seek his face. We still have to understand who he is. And so if we say, God, you know, this is an incredible land that you have given to us, and I'm just going to go out there and lay in the middle of it and, and begin to grow crops and just have this amazing time here like Abraham could have done, in that sort of stuff, instead of saying, God, I still want to desire to know you and who you are. We risk so much by doing that. We have to consider Abraham that when he was spoken to about these promises, he was also asked to sacrifice 
one of the promises that God had given to him. He was asked to sacrifice a son that God had given to him. Abraham and his wife, you know, they, they laughed about having the son, and eventually he did have this promised son. But still, when the son got older, God says, you know what? Take your son up the mountain. Build an altar up there. And, and he's saying, well, God, where's the offering at? Where's the thing that we're going to sacrifice? And, and he gets up there, and God says, your son. I mean, sacrifice your son. Put him on the, the altar. Sacrifice him. God said, get rid of that promise. And, and Abraham had to decide, does he love the promise more or does he love the promise giver more? He had to decide what his decision was going to be there. And he lays his son, you know, I can just see it that about the time he's about ready to bring down that knife upon his son to, to completely kill him there, then, then an angel steps in and says, no, there's a ram over there in the thicket. That's the thing that I want you to sacrifice. And God begins to speak and says, you know what, now I know that you truly trust in me, the promise giver, more than you're trusting in the promise that I have given to you, Abraham. He, he spoke something very clearly. And so our eyes of understanding will open as we learn to trust God despite contrary circumstances. We too will receive revelation, and his ways are higher than our own. We must learn his ways and not just be recipients of his acts. His words beyond our expectations. His works are beyond our human logic. His works or he works beyond what our eyes are seeing and what our, eye, what our ears are hearing. He fulfills his promises even in the unexpected circumstances around us. If we think about it, Mary watched Jesus die on the cross, but it was not the end. It would not be long before she would experience the fulfillment of the promise. The one who carried the promise some 33 years prior would now receive the actual promise. And so we have this here. It says, perhaps Mary drew strength from the story of Abraham. Maybe she said, you know what, Abraham, he, he was willing to sacrifice that promise because he knew the promise giver. So I'm willing to just trust that, you know, this promise that's here, it's still going to be fulfilled, but I'm going to trust in the promise giver that, that's above. She, she knew what was happening there. But the cool thing for us was that we don't just have Abraham. But we have the story of Mary as well, that it worked for Abraham, it worked for Mary, it began to work for Paul, it began to work for all these guys inside of the scripture that were before us, people that Mary didn't have when she went through these circumstances, yet she still did. She still did go through these things, and that is incredible. We must remember that God is unchanging, and what God did for Abraham, he will do for Mary, and he will do for us. We not only leave Abraham's story or we not only have Abraham's, but we have Mary's also. I'm going to conclude this tonight by reading this, and, and just hopefully this will bring the concept of what I'm speaking about tonight. Charles Blondin was a tightrope walker. In 1859, he gained the great fame as the first person to cross the Niagara Falls. A cable 1,300 feet long and two inches in diameter was wound around an oak tree on the American side, while the other end was ferried across the Niagara River and secured to a Canadian rock. To limit swaying, his friend and manager, Henry Colcord, stabilized guy ropes affixed at 20-foot intervals to anchors on both banks, except for a 50-foot unreachable, or 50 unreachable feet in the center, which sagged and swayed dangerously. Tens of thousands of spectators gathered to watch Blondin cross to the Niagara. He, he shortly, or shortly before 5 p.m. on June 30th, 1859, Blondin started his slow walk from the American side. Once past the center section, he broke into a run. After a brief rest and reaching the other side, he started back again, this time carrying a box camera on his back. Near the middle, Blondin carefully set up the camera and snapped a picture of the crowd. The entire round trip took 23 minutes. Once safely back on the American soil, Blondin immediately announced a series of, uh, of encore performances, each more daring than the last, and the press ate it up. On one of his trips, Blondin sat down on the cable and ate a piece of cake. On another trip, he carried a stove and utensils on his back, walked to the center of the cable, started a fire, and cooked an omelet. On July 15th, with President Millard Fillmore in attendance, Blondin walked backward to Canada and returned to the United States pushing a wheelbarrow. The, two weeks later, he somersaulted and backflipped his way across, occasionally pausing to dangle from the cable by one hand. He even crossed 
the Niagara Falls blindfolded. Perhaps his most daring crossing occurred in the month of August when he appeared on the Canadian end of the cable with Harry Cocord clinging to his back. It is said that Blondin gave his manager the following instructions. Look up, Harry. You are no longer Cocord, but you are Blondin. Until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, you sway with me. Do not attempt to do anything or any balancing yourself. This is what we need to do. We need to look up. It's not about us, and God's got it. Trust him, and he will carry us. We are in good hands, and we can trust him because he knows what he is doing in Jesus' name. If we could stand here tonight, I'm thankful that we have a God here that we can trust him, and God who has given us promises, and that no matter what our circumstances are saying, we can absolutely believe in him tonight. So let's just lift our hands and pray the, the, this last time, believing that God has got it in his hands, God. Lord, we are thankful again for those promises that you have given to us, God. I am thankful for your gospel that you have spoken, God, your word that you have reached every single one of us, God. I pray that you would begin to let that unfold in our lives, God, those promises that are around us, Jesus, and help us to resist what those circumstances say, God. Help us to resist what people around us say, God, and help us to trust in you, God, to have faith in your word, God. Have faith in who you are, Jesus, that you know what you are doing, God, and you have it all under your control. God, that no matter what it looks like, God, no matter what it seems like inside of our lives or the things that are around us, God, Lord, we trust in you tonight, God, that you have it all, God, Lord, that we don't want to counterbalance you, Jesus, but we want to know that you have it all under your control, Jesus, that you can do it, God. You are omniscient, omnipotent, and all-powerful, Jesus, that through you, Jesus, these things can happen, Lord, and we believe it tonight, Jesus, that in your name, God, Lord, things are moving. God, and our world is being reached, God, by your gospel, Lord. We believe that your Holy Ghost is being presented, God, and Lord, that baptisms will occur in the city of Gillette, God, Camel County, Wyoming, in the Rocky Mountain District, Lord, that your promises will be fulfilled, God, in this church, God, and in these households, God, that through you, Lord, there is power in your name, God, and there is might in who you are, Jesus, and we are so thankful, God, for what you are doing, God, we are so thankful for who you are, God, and your invitation to come into your kingdom, Jesus, Lord. We believe you for it, God. We trust you for it tonight. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's just praise him one last time. And th